0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at Rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We pray for We're going to begin. Father, thank you again for a time of worship, Lord. We can just pour our hearts out. Thank you for your blessings and what you've done for us. Father, we just pray that we would continue that spirit of worship now into a time of study of your word. Lord, just speak clearly to us. Help us to understand your word in our lives, how to apply it, Lord, how it should change and mold and shape us. And Father, we pray again through the power of the Spirit, we could be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Today's our second week in our sermon series. We've entitled entitled Tension, Faith Versus Culture. And over the next several weeks, we're going to examine issues that are prevalent in our society that we struggle with as believers. Last week, we tackled the idea of social media. That sermon, by the way, is on our website, and also all of the resources that go along with that sermon, the different articles I pulled from last week, and the books, and the actual sermon itself, you can listen to. I've kind of Teased each week by kind of telling you what's next week so you can kind of think and pray a little bit about it. Next week is going to be the Christian heritage of our country. And I will give you just a little teaser before I uh, move on to today's topic and kind of let you think and pray a little bit about as we think about the heritage of our country, the Christian background. Half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were seminary trained. That's fascinating to me. And I want to really think through that because our, our world today would say our country was not founded on Christian principles. I think that's untrue. I think there's a lot of evidence to, to show the contrary, and I want to show where they got their inspiration from Scripture, how it affected the decisions they made. So next week, we'll talk through that. Today is gender dysphoria. Now, I want to go ahead and define something right off the bat so we're, we're kind of clear on what we're doing and where we're going and make sure we understand kind of the definitions. I don't want people to be confused. Gender dysphoria Involves a conflict between a person's physical or assigned gender, I'll talk about that here in just a few minutes, and the gender with which he or she identifies. So again, it involves a conflict between a person's physical or assigned gender and the gender with which he or she identifies. This is a very complex issue. And as I studied through this and and really prayed through this this week, I I really wanted to understand uh, certainly the scripture and what God teaches. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. But I also wanted to understand the other side. I wanted to spend some time trying to understand what people really think and, and how people really feel about this. And so, really, as part of my sermon prep, one of the things I did was listen to several podcasts of transgender people. I was just curious what are they saying? How are they feeling? How did they arrive at these conclusions? And one thing I've become convinced of in that study and over the last week is this is a very real struggle for people. I'm aware that there are people, even in our church, people probably right now who have family members that struggle with this issue. Friends that struggle with this issue. There may be people here right now that struggle with this as well. And so I want to be very sensitive to this issue I want to be very sensitive to to their feelings and and to what they're going through and the the struggle that they're sensing. While at the same time, I want to understand biblically what the scripture teaches us. Because as believers, the, the world is going to say one thing. We've got to be willing and able to think biblically about these sorts of issues you got to be able to understand what what the Word of God says and and how the Lord leads and exactly how you ought to kind of defend this position because there's a time coming, you can mark my words on this, there's a time coming when you're going to have to defend your position. Right? The world already is beginning to push in a little bit. I've I've got some some, um, information and some quotes from books and some articles I want to show you very quickly to kind of make this case that it's not just okay for us anymore to pretend like it doesn't exist. Because not only does it exist, but very soon as a believer, I'm convinced you're going to have to stand up and make an account for what you believe. So just for example, I want to kind of read a quote from you to kind of help you understand this position. Pull a quote up from Nicholas Tish. He wrote Transgender 101. This is a secular book, by the way, not a Christian book. He kind of explains and helps us understand this issue. Here's what he says. He says the key when talking about sex is differentiating between what sex people are labeled with, that's an important word, at birth, and what sex they consider themselves to be now. The, The argument of that side is that people are assigned or labeled a gender at birth. They may not necessarily be that gender. Now, as strange as that may sound to us, that's the argument they make. It's not about how they were born. It's what they were labeled, and they have a choice. They can now make a decision of their own gender based on how they feel. Go to the next quote from this book. He says, gender exists on a continuum. There may be two ends opposite each other, but there's so much more in between, right? We would say there's a binary system. There's male and there's female. They would argue there's a spectrum in between, right? So there's a binary system that maybe we would agree with. They would say we live in a non-binary world. It's not just about one or the other. It's about male and female and a continuum all between those, a spectrum. So, for example, I said this a couple weeks ago on Facebook, there are 51 choices. One is male, one is female. There are 49 others in the middle you can choose from, and each one of those has a distinction and means different things. Go to the next quote. He argues that gender is a social construct. Now, I'm not saying we agree with it. I'm not saying it necessarily makes sense to you, but the people that are in this community, the people that feel this way, believe they have a right to make a decision not based on their anatomy, not based on the way they were labeled at birth, not about anything physical within their bodies. They basically have the decision to choose their gender. That's the argument they would make. Now, it's very easy for us at this point to kind of minimize that, set that aside, and say something even like, you know what? If they want to do that, fine, but that's not really going to affect me in my life. Well, here's the struggle for us. Here's where this is going. Let me show you a quote from an article. Judge paves way for a transgender teen to get hormone therapy at Cincinnati's Children's Hospital. This is February of this year. I want you to listen to this. A Hamilton County judge has paved the way for a 17-year-old who wants to transition genders to undergo hormone therapy. Now, here's the interesting part of this story. The case pitted the teen against his parents. Like, he wanted to do it. He's a 17-year-old minor. His parents said, no, bring the quote up. Sylvia Hendon who's a visiting juvenile court judge issued a ruling Friday granting legal custody to the teen's grandparents who, according to a prosecutor, accept their grandson for who he is, right? So she said, listen, if the parents don't fall in line with this view, I'm going to take responsibility away from the parents. I'm going to take parental responsibility away from the parents. Give it to the grandparent. You understand what's going on right there? Here's what the judge says. We have it on the screen. The child truly may be gender nonconforming and has a legitimate right to pursue life with a different gender identity than a one assigned at birth. Here's a judge who's taken parental responsibility away from the parents because they didn't understand their 17-year-old son. They didn't agree with what their son was going through. Here's another quote, another story. June of 2017, Canadians could face hate crimes over using the wrong gender Pronoun. Now, gender pronoun is very simple. If we're in a binary system with male and female, you would say he, she, her, him. We kind of understand those. But if you're somewhere on the continuum between male and female, there will be a different pronoun for you. There's many, many different pronouns. And so now you're given the choice in the world we live in to choose your appropriate pronoun. Maybe you don't want to be called him or her. Maybe there's something else you want to be called. In Canada now... It's a hate crime if you use the wrong pronoun. Here's the quote. Canada passed the law Thursday, this is back in 2017, making it illegal to use the wrong gender pronouns. Critics say that Canadians who do not subscribe to progressive gender theory could be accused of hate crimes, jailed, fined, and made to take anti-bias training. So you've got to call the person... Their sign, what they choose, you can call them what they want to be called. They get the right to decide. If you choose not to call them by that personal pronoun, you can be fined or even go to jail. In Canada, now here's what some of us do. Well, thank goodness that's Canada, and it hasn't yet come to America. Go to the next slide. Washington Post, May of 2016. You can be fined for not calling people Z or here if that's the pronoun they demand to use. Right Here's the quote from the article. The New York City Human Rights Law requires employees, landlords, and all businesses and professionals to use an employee's, tenant's, customer's, or client's preferred name, pronoun, and title regardless of the individual's sex assigned at birth, anatomy, gender, medical history, appearance, or the sex indicated on the individual's identification. It's a law now. So it's becoming more than people just getting to make their own choice It's becoming now where we're being pulled into this, and we've got to now acknowledge and say the right things to these people, or we risk prison, jail time, fines, so on and so forth. Now, that's not happening here, but I will promise you it's coming. If you think it's not, you need to take your head out of the sand and pay attention to the world around you. This is a real struggle we're facing. This is a real issue that people are dealing with. It can be very confusing. It seems to be constantly changing, that the number of genders is growing every day. There are all sorts of, of kind of strange things that go away, uh, along with it. There's, there's the idea of trans age now. This is true. I read the story about a 52-year-old 52, 52 man who identifies now as a six-year-old girl. It's, it's bizarre, Right? And he had a wife and seven children. And the article was all about how brave he was and incredible he was. No article about how he ruined the life of his seven children. I wasn't in there. I looked for it. I looked hard for it. And I couldn't find it anywhere. So this is a, an issue that we're dealing with. The question for us is not is it coming, not is it real, not is it actually going on. The real question for us now is how do we respond to this? How do we think biblically? So in order to do that, I want you to take a look now at Genesis chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26, God has given us kind of a clear indication of exactly how we should think about this. Genesis 1, 26, God has already created. We're in day six now, the land, the sun, the moon, the animals, and he's going to kind of save his greatest creation, the crowning achievement of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have it on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's stop there and I want to draw some truth out for you that's important. Here's the first one right on the screen. We are created in God's image to fulfill his purposes. We are created in God's image. To fulfill his purpose. Now, we're gonna come back to that idea here just for a second, but one of the things you need to understand that's foundational to the biblical understanding of gender is that God created the earth with order, with a purpose, with a plan. It wasn't as if he just kind of randomly said, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter, two genders, five genders, nobody really cares. God understood there was a plan. He created this earth with a purpose, with order, in order to bring him glory, in order to fulfill his plan. So so one of the ways we see that is in the way God created. I did a sermon in, in Genesis several years ago, and we spent a lot of weeks in the first few chapters of Genesis to kind of understand this. But even within the creation itself, there is order. So for example, we've got the day one example right here. Pull it up if you would. Here, here's some examples of how God used order in his creation. Day one, he created light, heavens, and earth. Day four, which ties into one, he filled the heavens and the earth with the sun, moon, and stars, right? So he formed it in day one. In day four, he filled it. There's order there. There's design there. Go to day two. In day two, he created the sky and the ocean. He separated the firmament from above, the firmament from below. He formed it on day two. He filled it on day five with birds and fish. Go to day three. Day three, the land and the vegetation, he formed it. Remember, the Bible tells us the earth was formless and void, and the the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis 1. He formed in day three the land and the vegetation. Day six, he filled it with animals and man. So even within the creation account, there's this idea of order. There's this idea of a plan. There's this idea that God created it with a certain purpose. And here's something we need to understand. We don't need to miss this. God created us, right? He and he alone has the right to determine our path and our purpose. That's that's foundational for us to get. It's not our opinion, it's not your opinion, it's not my thoughts. God created us with order, with purpose, with a plan. He and he alone has the right to determine what we do. Andrew Walker, who's a Christian thinker and author, said it like this. He said, this isn't a debate about cisgender and transgender individuals or between those who are religious and those who are secular or between right and left. This is a question of whether a creator has the right to speak about his creation. It's a question of whether a creator has more knowledge of his creation than a small part of that creation. See, God created us with purpose and with plan and with order. He's got the way that we ought to walk. He's set that out for us. And one of the things we learn about that, pull verse 26 up again for me if you would, please. We understand in the very beginning of 26, we are created in God's image. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Here's what we need to understand. This is important for us and a lot of people miss this. We find inherent value and worth simply because we're created in the image of God. You understand that? There is absolute value in human life because we've been created in his image. We have value in God's eyes. Did you know there's nothing else on the planet, no animal, no tree, no mountain, as beautiful and as majestic and as incredible as they are, none of those things are created in the image of God. None of those are image bearers. And so our calling in this world is to understand we've been created in God's image He's given us a plan. We need to then find our worth and our value in the things of the Lord. Now, this is a struggle for a lot of us. It's a struggle for a lot of us because far too many believers and non-believers find their identity, find their worth in things other than Christ. You understand that? In things other than being created in the image of God. So I, I I don't want to step on toes and I don't want to anger you in any way. Well, maybe I do, but not really. If you find your identity in the way that you look or the clothes that you wear, you've misplaced that identity. If you find your identity in, in how smart you are, you've misplaced that identity. If you find your identity in, in how good you are at a sport or how strong you are or how fast you can run, you've misplaced your identity. We spend far too many of us a lifetime figuring out our identity and and looking for self-worth in the things of the world. You're never going to find it there. It doesn't truly exist. God says, listen, I've created you with a plan. I've created you with purpose. I've created you in my image. I've designed this for a reason. Find your value. Find your worth and who I am. So Christ says, the Lord says, listen, I've created you like this, and I've given you purpose. Look at verse 26 again. Pull 26 up again for us. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may. Here's it, here it is, right? God gives us a very clear picture. They may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the sea creatures that move along the ground. God made them mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Rule the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God says, listen, I've created you with purpose. I've created you with a plan. You need to listen to what I say. Live for the sake of my glory and for the sake of my kingdom. So here's the second truth we see right out of the scripture. God's glory and order are displayed in the roles he's given to men and women. God's glory and order are displayed in the roles that he's given or that he gave to men and women. It wasn't just some arbitrary thing he made up. God said, listen, I'm going to create Adam with purpose. I'm going to create Eve with purpose. I'm going to call them to do very specific things in this world. Now, you guys that are a little bit older, and when I say a little bit older, I mean kind of older than a kid, really, You figured out a long time ago that men and women are different. If you get married, you really figure that out, right? That men and women are different. And that's not by accident. God did that on purpose. We understand that we are wired different in the way that our brains operate. Right? We, we think differently. Our, our bodies are, are structured physically, very different. Our chromosomes are different. And if you're not careful, those differences can cause problems in a marriage. Instead, you have to begin to kind of realize, listen, God's given us roles and, and plans within that marriage. We function together. We work together strengths and weaknesses to accomplish the plan that God has laid out for us. But we see all through Scripture that men and women are not only created differently, they're designed differently. They've got different roles. We see that all through Scripture. Like like men typically in Scripture are called to protect and and provide and and offer spiritual leadership, sacrifice themselves for the sake of others. That's what men are called to do. Women are more nurturing, right? They seem to be more compassionate, sometimes more loving, more caring. We've been amazed with with our children. We have three girls and a boy, how very different they are. And we were told that would be the case. And they're different individual to individual, of course, but they're different boy to girl, right? Our three girls, when they were little, anything they could get their hands on became a baby doll. You give them a water bottle, they want to put a diaper on it, wrap it in a blanket, and stick a pacifier down the top of it. Why? Because they're nurturing. They want to take care of it. Because natural- Now, I'm making generalities. I get it. Not everybody fits into exactly these categories, but by and large, that's how girls act. My son came along. I give him a water bottle. It becomes a bomb. He can throw it at somebody to blow up, right? He pulls the pin and throws it. That's the difference. We get that. Men and women are created differently. That wasn't by accident. That wasn't some random thing that happened. God created us with purpose and with a plan to display his glory. So anything that moves us away from the created roles, anything that moves us away from the created gender, anything that moves us away from the order and the purpose of the Lord is incorrect, regardless of what it may be. This idea of gender dysphoria kind of falls into this category, but there are other things we could say as well. There are other things that lead us away from the truth of the Lord as well. One of the things I do when I counsel young couples about about premarital, about getting, one of the things I do when I counsel couples before they're married, I couldn't get that out, is we start in Exodus 5. Uh, Man, I'm struggling with this. We start in Ephesians 5. There it is. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse about 22. If you've never studied through that, you ought to read kind of that verse and the rest of Ephesians 5 because it's a beautiful picture of the roles within a marriage of a man and a woman. And I'm becoming more and more convinced the longer I pastor and the longer I speak to couples that struggle, one of the big problems we have in marriage is that couples don't understand their responsibilities. They don't understand what they're required to do in a marriage. Ephesians 5 kind of lays that out for us. It's It's a beautiful picture of how God has designed us differently how he's created us with purpose, how we're supposed to live our lives within that purpose. We're supposed to, uh, in, in the words of scripture, kind of uh, fulfill his glory and, and, and spread it all over the earth and create and multiply. He's given us roles and responsibilities, right? So here, here's the question for us. We, we kind of get this, this real clear picture in the Bible about how we ought to live and what genders ought to look like and and what that says according to Genesis 1. And by the way, there are all sorts of other scriptures we could have used to explain that. Here's the real question for believers and what I want to spend just the last few minutes thinking about this morning. Most of us would have come in probably already understanding this. Hopefully I've given you kind of a biblical picture and a little bit better understanding of why we believe it. But the real question for believers when you walk out this morning into the world is what do we do with this? Like how do I respond to this? How do I respond when a person tells me they're struggling with this? Or how do I respond to this when someone tells me this is not the way I'm supposed to think? How am I supposed to respond? So I'm going to give you three kind of very practical things, points of application you can do as you think about how to respond in these situations. Here's the first one. We have it on the screen. We need to understand, first of all, and stand firm on the truth. Right? Don't give in to the truth of God's word just to get along in society. Don't give in just so it's easier for you. We we need to understand what God teaches, what God says, how his word is laid out, what his purposes are. We need to stand firm on that truth. And The truth we see scripturally is God created this plan, God created this design. Anything outside of this plan, outside of this design is outside of God's will. We need to understand that this is how God created us. One writer said it like this, The reality of human sinfulness explains why there are those who are deeply troubled and confused about something as fundamental as their gender and self-identity. The brokenness of the world also explains why there are entire ideologies, theories, and systems of thought constrained by sinners in order to justify their sin. And we understand, listen, this is how God created it. This is his plan. Anything outside of that is outside of his will. That's the first thing we need to get. Understand understand and stand firm on the truth. Here's the second one. We have it on the screen. We need to affirm within these people that the struggle is real. I think far too many believers want to kind of take this casual approach. I'm just going to ignore this. I'm going to pretend like this isn't real. I'm going to pretend like this person isn't really struggling. As if they've got a switch, they can kind of flip on and off as they wake up in the morning and decide they want to do this or do that. It's a lot more difficult than that for this person. A lot more deep-seated. If you've ever spoken to somebody struggling with this or you know somebody in your family that struggles with this, you understand this. Let me give you a stat that will help you understand this. That it ought to be heartbreaking to you. According to the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention... Suicide attempts are alarmingly common among transgender individuals. Listen to this stat. 41% of them try to kill themselves at some point in their lives. 41% of transgenders will at some point in their life try to take their own life. That's a staggering statistic. Staggering. We need to understand and embrace this idea that the struggle is very real. It's not as easy as just kind of flipping a switch and making a decision. We need to not necessarily affirm what they're doing, but affirm that we understand this is a real struggle for them. There's a difference there. And then the third thing, and maybe the most important thing we could do in thinking about how to deal with this issue and these struggles, number three, we must respond with love. Period. All right, we're real good as Christians with responding with truth and no love. We need to respond with truth and love. That's what Scripture teaches. We need, we need to hold firm to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ while at the same time loving people, recognizing that they're struggling presenting them with the hope of Christ. And I promise you one thing, if you're gonna laugh at them or dismiss them or act like their struggle's not real or act like it's just a a switch they can flip on and off, you're gonna miss this opportunity to really make a difference in their life. You're you're gonna miss this chance to be able to respond in love. You say, that's difficult for me. That's a struggle. I'm not sure I can respond in love because this is a a real kind of deep-seated emotion for me as well, and I really struggle. How do I do this? I'm reminded of Christ. Luke chapter 23 verse 34, is, he, is he's literally hanging on the cross. He's been beaten, spat upon, beard pulled out. He's in the process of being executed. He looks down at the people that have done this to him. you remember what he says? "Forgive them for they know not what they do. We better be willing, as a, as a group, within culture, to understand the struggles understand the issues, to understand the truth, to respond in all things with love because there is absolutely hope in Christ. Jesus gives us a path. He gives us a plan. We need to understand it. We need to live it. We need to allow the Lord to love everybody, including people that struggle with this issue, through us for the sake of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, Father, we thank you for what you show us in Genesis 1. Father, we thank you for the way in which you, you lay out the, the, just the clear case, Father, of male and female. And, and Father, that it's more than, than just a, a, a random event, Father, It was created with purpose and with design. We thank you for that. Help us to understand our roles, Father, as Christians, as men and women. Help us to see, Father, the people that struggle with this issue, that really do deal with this, Father. Help us to see them with eyes of love and compassion, helping them as much as we can as we struggle through it, Father, realizing that they need Christ just like we did. And, Father, in that process, I pray you'd be honored. I pray you'd be glorified in all the things that we say and do, Father. We love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand altar is open, opportunity for you to pray or you can come speak to me, your chance to respond as we sing together this morning. grace and mercy and loved us even while we were still sinners. Lord Christ died for our sins. Praise your name for that. Lord, just send us out in the world Lord, just better understanding what the gospel teaches. Better understanding what what your truth teaches, Father. But also better understanding how we need to respond in, in love and kindness with truth. And then use us, Father, in whatever way you see fit in whatever situation you put us in. Use us for the sake of your kingdom, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. See you back next Sunday morning.